Good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Neoliberal Round podcast. I'm Ronaldo McKenzie. Today, I want to shift a little bit, just this episode, from talking about Ukraine and what's happening in Ukraine. And uh, But later on, later on in another episode, we will give you update as to what's going on there. But today, many of you know that I completed two masters at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And I studied neoliberal globalization, looking at the effects of neoliberalism on the global south. Looking at the global south, and not just the global south, but its diaspora. Looking at vulnerable people. And I wrote a book which was part of my thesis, part of my study. And the title of the book is Neoliberalism, Globalization, Income Inequality, Poverty and Resistance. It's a 400-page Nonfiction academic textbook, which is which I also used when I was teaching at the Jamaica Theological Seminary, an online course. I teach that college pro bono, but I was um, teaching a course, and I actually utilized some of the concepts in this book. But the book, the book makes several assumptions. The book looks at in- income inequality, not just be in between peoples, but um, but looking, looking at it geographically, the global south as against the global north. And when we talk about the global south, we're talking about developing countries. We're talking about uh, third world countries. But we, it's, we no longer use the word third world because third world is, a, is discriminatory. Or it's backward. So we say, global, we say global south instead of third world. But uh, in the book, in the book, we look at poverty and we look at how neoliberal strategies, how to liberalize Economies of the global south, and to and to and, and and how the IMF and the World Bank and several machineries and systems of the global north and world no, um, systems have penetrated these countries to the fact that they no longer have any kind of independence and the kind of prosperity, but of course post um, colonialism and their experience with slavery has also affected that country. And we have also talked about. Uh, uh, this in the in this book and it, on, on several other discussions that we've had, and I said in the book the preface the beginning I said when we hear of Jamaica or the Caribbean, we think of beautiful islands of paradise with sun, sea, sand, reggae music, cannabis, and Arab people like Usain Bolt, people who are living out their best dreams, desires, and lives. But this book analyzes this motif. Given the historical and current economic and political situation in Jamaica and the Caribbean and the global south. Of course, in an attempt to escape the adverse realities of poverty, inequality and justice, the people of the global south find themselves in north metropolises with very little agency and minimal change to their lives. In fact, except for the use of cleaning, neoliberal waste, the immigrant is usually portrayed as an alien with three heads and big sharp teeth seeking to steal and destroy profit and disrupt society. As such, we will discuss black, brown and pan-African struggles for economic prosperity, justice and freedom and consider effects, abilities or inabilities to chart their own futures since decolonization and realize real political independence and economic prosperity. Now, I, somebody had uh, did uh, a review of the book and while they said that it was an exceptional and erudite economic analysis, they said that um, one person said that it needed some more solutions. But of course, the book was looking at problems and exploring whether or not we can 
have solutions to these problems of with the countries of the global south which is what which is what's the problem economic independence they don't have any money so i've been going around trying to look at the solutions of course one person in jamaica a good friend of mine kevin donaldson who owns roots financial or has he and a group of friends owns now roots financial now now they they now have the ability now they created a a a system or a company where people can send money from abroad all over the world which is which was done by western union that's one of the things that they are doing another thing that people are contemplating is regenerative regenerative agriculture which is what we want to talk about today and i did an interview with someone by the name of colette who is an expert in regenerative agriculture and who works in Latin America and I am going to uh share that interview with you on this program so sit back relax and listen to the interview about regenerative agriculture solutions to the issues of neoliberal globalization because of course land we talk about world hunger and how we deal with work world hunger or poverty one of the ways we can deal with with it is looking thinking about cutting edge ways regenerative agriculture because many of these countries they have riches in their country the land the land provides a lot of solutions to some of the problems that we have and if these countries can develop their own independence their own independent independence instead of charting a course of what i call um dependent capitalism which is what a lot of global countries are a lot of global countries they are dependent capitalist countries who pursue a culture of servitude through their tourism but what about regenerative regenerative agriculture and those kinds of things let's listen to this interview with colette about this great cutting edge work that they are doing in latin america to give these people independence figuring out how they can use the soil as a way to feed and to develop some prosperity listen to the interview here we go good good afternoon everyone i mean i love this job i meet so many great people here am i talking to colette who is you know she studied international relations international development she goes all over the world trying to respond to issues of globalization she said she did life and death and learned about what globalization has done to the world and now she's in latin america and does work and she's going to talk to me about regenerative uh regenerative agriculture yes yeah, so what is regenerative agriculture so regenerative agriculture is a framework that of course really indigenous people around the world have been using just because they're connected to the land in a in a way that most if we're looking at conventional agriculture especially in the models in the United States have been really disassociated from what's happened in the commercial agricultural platform again kind of coming back to what we could consider a globalization model that's been exported from the west around the world is systematically dismantling developing countries from being able to access their own independent freedom even when it comes down to things like sovereignty over seeds yes sovereignty over their own land and cultivation uh-huh. the amendments that they're using in their agricultural profiles etc so uh-huh. what's happened unfortunately is that the conventional agricultural model that's been building really after post world war 2 but we could say the last you know over the last 100 years in the united states 
I don't know if you're familiar with the Dust Bowl, Ronaldo, and what happened with that. The Dust Bowl was a period that happened uh, before really the first um, Great Depression okay. in the United States. Right. It was part of the system systematic aspect of that happened with the Great Depression. But what happened was people were completely over-utilizing their soils and not replenishing them, especially with carbon. And carbon, when we're talking about carbon, is actual like plant matter. So like, you know, we can think about green carbon that's more sort of fresh carbon, like leaves, uh, like grass cuttings, let's say. Yes. And then woody carbon is things like, you know, when you cut a tree down and you, and you pulverize it or when a tree is kind of decomposing, etc. And it has sort of that more woody components. So what happened is that they completely removed what's considered a carbon cycle from the soil structure. Right. And what happens is that in the soil, there is this incredible prolific world. I mean, it's like, we what we actually know about soil is tremendously little. It is, it is a huge biodiverse realm of interconnections that allow plants to actually, I mean, it's like same thing as you and I, right? Like what yes. happens when you and I are hungry? You know, what do we do? We want to eat something. We want to eat something. Eat yes. Something. So like what we'll do is like, and if we're smart, we'll, we'll try to eat something that's healthy and we'll listen to our body, you know, about what our body's, body's really needing as far as protein, fat, etc. Of course, that can get out of, you know, people can get unhealthy, let's say, but putting it to the, the framework of plants, plants already know how to be able to feed yes. each other. And there's an intricate network of micro, what's called microorganisms in the soil that create this framework for plants to be able to regenerate and to be able to feed properly. And so with conventional agriculture, those models have been completely dismantled. We plant one crop, we plant the same we plant, we plant the same genetic species. And then what happens is that a lot of plant resistance or you know resistances will come to that from not having proper supportive microorganisms, using synthetic fertilizers and chemicals that kill that structure, building reliance on those chemicals and and, and, uh, and amendments that you know, for example, like in the developing world, we're talking tens of thousands of years of tradition. Yes. Well, bueno, let's say 10,000 years is when people think the first agricultural system started in Mesopotamia. Right. So who knows? I tend to think it's probably a bit more, but let's say 10,000 years, okay? <laughs> yes. So a long time that people around the world have been saving seeds, that they've been um, systematically studying what seeds work, what's, or what plants don't, what plants are more fertile, abundant, resilient, etc., saving those seeds, doing, building those crops the next year, building them just in their own microclimate, right. building their cultural foods around those plants, etc. And so what's happening, like even considering this globalization aspect of this, I mean, I use this I use this um, framework when I was I was in Malawi many years ago working there. Yes. And the president of Malawi, there, you know, Malawi was an incredibly poor country. Mm -hmm. There was billboards up of the president that were paid for by Pioneer Seeds. That is, I think they got bought out by um, another seed company. I right. can't remember right now. But they were, you know, like putting up, they were basically promising people, you know, to give them all of their seeds, give them all of their amendments. Yes. And what happens with these chemical companies, they're really chemical companies that are producing these seed companies. Yes. They go into the developing world. They give people all of their amendments. They get them. It's like drug dealers. They get them hooked on them. And then what happens is that in a very short timeline, people stop saving their own seeds. They lose their own genetics. Yes. They become reliant on those fertilizers. They kill the microbiome in their in their soil. They can't. They they, they basically become addicted to these amendments, and then they can't afford them. 
you know, it's like it's like the first one's free kind of thing. And so the president of Malawi was in this this kind of scandal at that time. Well, no, we knew about it because we were involved in agriculture. But he would, you know, like kind of be like, hey, we're gonna give you all these amendments. How great is that? And then what would happen is that people would build this reliance and dependence, and then, you know, that extension didn't last. And also, what happens is that when you kill that 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 microbiological profile in the soil, yes, then you're really up shit's creek. That's when things are really not producing well enough. The agricultural extensions oftentimes don't even understand or know about these systems. Right. And it just can collapse. It can get very, very dangerous. And then what? So, ah, and then the concept I, of regenerative agriculture is how can we actually be creating agricultural systems mm-hmm. that are very diverse, ah. that are very, you know, we're not planting one crop, we're planting a variety of crops to secure, um, you know, because things happen in nature. Yes, and yes. And also to be able to build diversity. It's like, right, you don't want to show your, um, put everything in one basket. Also, too, like, yes, if you go into a forest, yes. do you see one tree there? No. Exactly. So, Why do you yes. not see one tree there? Because there are because of diversity, the plant life. Because they have different, the forest needs several trees to survive. Exactly. Several, several. Um, the the animal life needs several different kind of species of plant, and they eat different kinds of plant. Exactly. It's creating essentially like the natural ecosystem for plants to actually have a certain level of resiliency yes also to be you know part of even like again kind of thinking about carbon cycling like if you're in a forest right trees are losing their leaves they're dying Uh occasionally they're falling over they're decomposing there there's other animals that might be dying there that are decomposing yes etc so like these cycles are you know we're looking at carbon cycle we're looking at nitrogen cycling yes we're looking at other mineral cycling going through the soil these cycles are incredibly important and so what's happened now is that agricultural extensions are telling farmers to put out minerals that in amounts that make absolutely no quantitative sense whatsoever right and then what happens is that because the microbiological profile of the soil has been so degraded the plants can't even take up those nutrients anywhere so farmers are spending a tremendous amount of money on these extension programs yes they're not really seeing any benefit from it um, it, they're not building the biological profile of the soil, and uh, and it's it's just absolutely insane. So you know, someone to put on your radar is a woman named Dr. Elaine Ingham. She's yes. got like every letter after her name possible, and it's badass because she's like basically an old woman. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's amazing. She's really developed the concept and research around the soil food web. I've yes. studied with her. I'm actually doing a program with her called the Soil It's the Soil Food Web Institute. Just kind of like continue training and education. Yes. Um, but like, man, there's like huge portals of information about this for you. But I'll, I'll leave it at you know just to kind of. This is really good. I know in the Caribbean, I think one it, there was an issue some time ago in Jamaica where the government was we were getting they were getting fertilizers from uh from abroad, but of course the fertilizers were very expensive. Yeah. yeah. And so and now you know you have that they have a heavy they have a lot of imports of foreign goods as well. You know, um, because I'm not sure if because the the, fer- the fertilizers are now expensive, and because fertilizers fertilizers are now expensive, it's easier for them now to import foreign goods instead of buying fertilizers and growing it themselves. And then, of course, I'm not sure if that's part of the problem. But regenerative ag- agriculture looks at how they can um, help to develop the soil that has been that has been damaged or from soil erosion, and um, and um, and also to augment 
the agriculture in these countries so that they can develop a diversity in the a diversity of agricultural products to not to feed themselves and the world and to develop some level of independence it agriculturally totally it extends into uh, a lot of different concepts i mean it can extend into you know a concept which is considered agroforestry so yes. like looking at forestry systems that you can be value adding sequestering carbon Yes. Um, create, you know, I mean, like the forest ecosystem is the most abundant, e and especially tropical forest ecology. Yes. Those are the most abundant ecosystems on the planet. You know. Uh -huh. So now what we're seeing around, you know, Central and South America, Caribbean, people have deforested. To, yes. To put to put cattle there. Uh -huh. To grow corn there. Uh -huh. To grow soybeans there that are really like I mean not nearly as productive yes not nearly as beneficial for or houses i mean it goes on and on yes like, the idea with also to this concept of having to buy fertilizers and amendments yes you can make every single amendment and fertilizer that you need um by collecting really simple basic things within the same area it's just uh. a matter of like people have been really separated from this aspect of, of consciousness mm -hmm. because of commercialized systems, because of globalization. Yes. Because of, you know, like it's, it's, it's really, and it's, and it's beyond the fact that it's, um, unethical, it's dangerous for the planet. It's like, we're really at peak, um, crisis yes. climate wise right now. And the amount of actual carbon that we could be sequestering in the soil from having a living soil food web Yes. is tremendous. I mean, it's like, Elaine Ingham has documented that there is soil food web activity up to a mile below the surface of the soil when mm. there's proper ecosystem intact. So you think about like, you know, I love trees, I love forests, we need to plant more forests, we need to protect them, etc. But like, no, like we have a tremendous amount of arable land under agriculture, like we need to be thinking about how to be producing better food that's yes. also more nutrient dense and is like you know helping sequester carbon you know wow and this will probably deal with some of the world hunger problems that we have especially in countries of the global south you know see but world hunger i mean in and of itself is like there's more than enough food being produced on this planet you know okay it's, again, yes. it's like there's this really interesting book that you should read um it's by this woman named Frances Mora LaPay. Uh-huh. And she interviews Vandana Shiva in that book. Yes. Vandana Shiva is an Indian woman who's a seed activist. And I think she's got like a PhD in something, like literally like neuroscience or something. This woman's like yes. insane mind. And she talks about how like India at any given time has literally millions of people there who are starving. And, and, right. and you know, how many people die there from, from actual starvation and, and, and malnutrition there every year. And that she was talking about how there's like these huge reserves of um, like corn yeah. and wheat that they don't want to open up because it would affect the, it would affect the pricing of that on the market in India. <laughs> so they'd rather keep that shit on lock. Yes, yes, and yes. And never yes. release it because it would drop the valuation of that on their commodities markets than actually feed people. And this is and this is the problem. Yes, yes. You know. People are more concerned about, you know, their their pockets and their a few people than feeding the people who need to be fed in the world. I mean, and that's I, the problem too, you know, like with desertification that's happening, we remove forest ecosystems, yes. we have a warming planet, people are really 
disassociated from what regenerative agriculture is at this point. Yes. And then you mix in regional conflict, etc. Like, I mean, it's it's you know, like it's hard for people to be growing what they what they need to be doing, but well, they also don't have yes. that relationship too of, of how to be growing in a regenerative framework. Oh wow, wow. This was good. This was good. So Thank right you. Here, right here oh my god. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I want to learn we you know, I want to learn more who is I mean, regenerative agriculture works best where and um, what are some of the effects of it now and so well, on. Every, everywhere, man. Like Oh like, wow. It's a really a framework of consciousness. Yes. And then there's different ways to Yo, you know what? Send me your email because there is Ronaldo a free, C. McKenzie no, at gmail.com. There's going to be some epic people on there. A free conference on regenerative agriculture by Elaine Ingram? Ingram, yeah. I, Ingram. Can, I can forward you the info. All right. I'm going to. Welcome back. That was Colette, who was just talking about regenerative agriculture. And uh, I'm, I can't wait to, to do some research, some more research on that. And to look and also to share this great project with other countries and other people. Say, for example, people in Jamaica and other parts of the Caribbean. And even people here in the U.S., in the South. And how we can utilize this great idea, this great method of responding to some issues of world hunger, so on and so forth. But um, we also want to turn our attention to some more solutions to issues of poverty, issues of income inequality, looking at neoliberalism, globalization, income inequality, poverty and resistance. When we look at resistance, not only are we looking at strategies and ways that people can come together to resist through action, but also the kind of action that we can do or that we can, we can pursue is one that Collette is doing, but one that people such as uh, Kevin Donaldson and the Roots Financial Group is doing. So I uh, published a news alert some time ago that says Roots Financial Group has acquired a 42% stake in QuickCart, which was formerly QuickPlate. Again, Roots Financial Group has acquired a 42% stake in QuickCart, formerly QuickPlate. Now, this is a positive move as I continue to do research concerning neoliberalism, globalization, income inequality, poverty, and resistance. Looking at the dynamics of peoples and places, winners and losers and the strategies and ideologies these of these positions I have argued I have argued that former colonies like Jamaica continue to fall behind because of brain drain and other socio-political economic and international or racial reasons and of course, some of these are de jour or de facto factors. Whether they are systematic or whether at the policy, whether they're at the policy level, or whether it is through through prejudices that 
people have who have who demonstrate those prejudices without policy however there are Jamaicans who are doing some big things as they seek to take control of their lives and generate wealth for themselves and peoples by providing international and domestic financial solution financial solution services to customers locally and in the diaspora now you can send money to Jamaica and elsewhere by utilizing a global south mechanism or that is domestic as a way to build and create wealth and opportunities for those peoples we talk about remittances in our book and we looked at how remittance has been is also one of the major the major revenue sector for Jamaica which I mean of course remittances is not really a sector we talk about mining is a sector or bauxite because Jamaica also has bauxite and of course tourism we said is a, is a sector but Jamaica makes hundreds of billions of dollars from remittances, family and friends and well-wishers overseas. And not just Jamaica, I'm talking about countries of the global south. What is very important for their uh, viability, for their survival, especially during COVID, was the, their family and friends who live abroad, who, who send money which, to, to, to them, which many believe is part of their civic duty or part of their duty, part of their responsibility to take care of those who have fallen behind. Since we are part of a family, a koinonia. So that is actually commendable. But Western Union and, and other platform and other, sorry, service, other companies are, was responsible. Was one of the ways in which Jamaicans and people, or over international people, or people living in the, in the diaspora, could send money abroad. But who owns Western Union and so on? It wasn't a local, it wasn't a it wasn't a Jamaican company. But now people in their own polls in the of the global south, people are using their knowledge and understanding of the system to create ways in which they can profit. They can profit. Where people overseas and their friends and their family sending money to their friends to people locally now can use a local scheme developed by their own as another way to develop prosperity and economic independence. So I invite you to support Kevin Donaldson and the Roots Financial Group as they seek to reposition themselves in Jamaica to become a meaningful competitor in the neoliberal, in this neoliberal globalized world. And um, I actually did publish this in, my, uh, in a blog and you can check, check in the ronaldocmackenzie.blogspot.com uh, for a posting on this particular issue with other links. Now, I would love, I would have loved to have Kevin Donaldson on this show. And I am, I am going to add, I am going to add an episode because we're not going to finish with this, with this episode. But I'm going to add a segment to this episode with an interview with the Roots Financial Group and Kevin Donaldson about how they are doing so far, what led to this, um, this business decision, and how, uh, what's the progress or the status of how they're doing, and uh, what are some of the ways in which, what are some of the challenges they had, so on and so forth. But this is great, and this, this is a good example, in w whereby countries of the global south 
are not just you are not just can't just look for handouts as a way to resolve some of their issues or continue on the path of dependent capitalism but also find ways creative ways to be to develop independence thank you so much for listening to another round of the neoliberal another another episode of the neoliberal podcast and i hope that you continue to to support me and to support the show and this program get a copy of the book neoliberalism globalization income inequality poverty and resistance it's available on amazon barnes and noble target kobo ebay or you can get a copy from me directly by sending me an email or go renaldo c mckenzie at gmail.com or going to my ebay page ren r-e-n-m-c-k-e-9-0 and uh you can get you can access actually a copy that way or you can if you are trying to find a, buy bulk copies you can actually go on ingram spark ingram spark and they will have copies as well thank you so much for listening to another episode and i hope you have a great day tomorrow 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 we have another big story i have a big story that i actually want to share with you for on the next episode in addition to an update giving you an update about what's going on with ukraine but i also want to re- uh, share with you some news regarding florida senate florida senate passed a gop backed ban on teaching students to feel guilt for history and i have a comment on that and actually i posted this comment on my reddit page discussion groups discussion group and i have had a voluminous response Several persons has, have gotten in, involved in that discussion. So I, you can join my Reddit, my, sorry, check out my blogspot, Ronaldo C. McKenzie.blogspot.com and then access the, uh, the, the link to the Reddit page discussion where we're talking about this story that I'm about to share with you here on, uh, on the Neoliberal Round. Florida Senate. Florida Senate passes GOP backed ban on teaching students to feel guilt for history. That will be coming up on the next episode of the Neoliberal Round. Join us. Take care.